0: You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Take your Bible, if you would, and open with me to uh, Romans uh, chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, we're going to continue on and look at some significant things that Paul has to share with us. And what I want to share with you out of chapter 11, and like so much in Romans, it's such an incredible book. It's really a a book, unless we're going to take two years to go through this, really can't fully do justice. And so we're trying to kind of hit that middle ground. We're not just skimming over the top, but we're not diving in every single verse by every single verse and phrase. And uh, But what I want to share with you this morning is three responses that Paul talks about in Romans 11 to God's great salvation that he brings in our life. We just sang a song about it that unpacks and unfolds the, the greatness and the majesty and the wonder of our God who loved us and sent his son Jesus to die for us and all that he has worked in salvation. And we, it, it elicits, it calls for an ongoing response in our life. And so I want to share with you about that. And As we've been walking through Romans, It just I don't know of a single book in the Bible that unpacks the salvation and the gospel of God like Romans does. I totally talked about that to begin with, right? As it's, it's we're kind of looking at it piece by piece, it was meant to be read as a whole. But, you know, Paul, as he starts out in chapter 1, he, he talks about this incredible gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation for everybody who believes. And so he tells us about this amazing thing of Jesus dying for us and rising from the dead. But then he dives in at the end of chapter 1 and all through into chapter 3 and he tells us how messed up, how jacked up, how wrong and disobedient we are. And if you remember when we were here in those early chapters, that free fall that all of us have fallen into sin and there's a Glad at the end of that time. We're kind of experiencing that culturally around us. But truthfully, each one of us have experienced that in our lives individually. And then we run into Romans chapter 3 where the Bible tells us just... Plain and simple, there is nobody who's righteous before God, no, not one, nobody is good, no one in and of themselves are good, nobody is understanding of God, nobody seeks God, Everybody's turned aside, we've all become worthless, just like wow, there goes all of our self esteem out the window, any of our own you know empowerment of what we can do on our own goes out the window and Paul, in order to share with us the majesty and the graciousness and the wonder of our mighty God, has to help us to realize that we are so messed up. We are so in need that the peace that we bring to this equation called salvation and eternal life is that we just have a need. We are needy souls. And so he shares that with us in chapter 3. And then he begins to explain that our goodness isn't ours any goodness we have is actually the goodness that God brought through Jesus coming to this earth, that Jesus was perfect. Jesus is perfect. And he died on that cross and he made, paid the sins for your sins and mine. And it's simply our surrender and faith to him as Lord of our life and Savior of our soul. That brings God's goodness onto our, our account that God saves us. And so he talks all about the, the the justification that we are made righteous and declared righteous and then made righteous over time uh, through faith in him and how that changes us. And we go from being dead in our sin to alive in God and frees us out of the bondage that we have. And he explains how that's the same Picture in the Old Testament that Abraham and all of the people in the Old Testament that came to know him as Savior and Lord, they were saved, if you would say it, that same exact way as we are. There's no change that's happened between Adam and on, that God has been working his rescue lifeboat mission and bringing his salvation to his children. In chapter 8, we experience and hear about this wonderful life that we have in the Spirit and that we are not condemned and that God is working all things for our good ultimately uh, through the salvation that He brings us. And then chapter 9, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, a challenging chapter that kind of talks more about not so much about exactly what Jesus did when he came, but talks more about what God the Father did. And most often we talk about Jesus because frankly that's what the Bible talks about most often. As a as a church, we try to emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. We try not to miss anything along the way, but we don't want to overemphasize things either. We want to, you know, just kind of Put the priorities where they are. It's one of the reasons we preach through books of the Bible and just let the Bible speak. And, and chapter 9 is, is shares really more not what salvation is from what Jesus did, but more what God the Father is doing and some challenging things in the middle of that. And last week, just what we do as, a, as Christians and as a church, that God has called us to share this wonderful message with others. In chapter 11, where we are today, he talks again about just... What God the Father has done, and i this chapter eleven and the end of eleven and into twelve is kind of a big transition. Paul is kind of wrapping up this whole wonderful salvation that God has worked in this world that He has brought, and I want you to notice, and I want these words to 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 speak into our soul this morning, but look what he says in verse thirty three I know I just jumped past." verses 1 through 32, I will get there a little bit, but look at verse 33. This is kind of summing up these 11 chapters and especially the last few. He says this, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. You know what Paul's doing? He's doing what you did when you were on a a road trip with your kids or family. Kids, look at that. That is amazing. He's doing what you do even now. The older you get, it takes things to be a little bit bigger to be amazed, you know what I mean? Like, well, okay, well, I've seen that, you know. I've seen, I've seen that. I've kind of seen something as well. But he wants us to step back and he says, look at the incredible, how deep, it's beyond measure, the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge, how incredible the richness is of our God. He goes on, he says, how unsearchable, are His judgments, and how inscrutable or beyond understanding, beyond scrutiny, are His ways. He says, look guys, the things we've been talking about, it is beyond our full cognitive ability to understand. It is beyond our ability to fully fathom. In sailors' world, you know, fathom was about six feet, and I think they would take a line to see how deep something was. I think, if, I'm, if I recall in history, you know, they would tie little knots so they could count the fathoms. But out in the middle of the ocean, you know, you know how you know how deep the average ocean is. It's about a couple of miles deep. Like that's plenty deep for you and me to drown, right? Plenty deep for us to not be top of the food chain. I don't understand how these people fall off of cruise ships. I probably do understand, but it's just like. That is not a good time when you all of a sudden find yourself floating around and the ship is sailing on and you are not at the top of the food chain and there's two miles of water. But the deepest part of the ocean is like six miles straight down. And early, I don't think it was until close to 1900, you know, who has a rope six miles long that doesn't get tangled? I would be the guy that get, you know, a quarter of a mile. Oh, I got this knot. I got to pull it all the way back up. And, you know, just you couldn't fathom it. It's unfathomable. In other words, you really couldn't measure it out to know just how deep it is. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. Guys, regardless of what our understanding is, and, you know, there's debate theologically of what chapter 9 means and all of that. And we, I share as River, we will always share as best of our knowledge of of what Scripture talks about. And we talked about that. We'll hit the early chapter 11 here in just a minute. But regardless, what Paul is saying is that we need to step back. And the majesty of God that is on display in Romans 1 through 11 should absolutely take our breath away. And when it fails to do that, something is going on. Either we really don't know Jesus and we really haven't experienced His grace, or we just have gotten so used to it and it's ho-hum and we think that it's no big deal. But Paul is trying to wow us with how incredible it is. He goes on, he says in verse 34, he says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Like who, who figured this out? Nobody, nobody has understood this. Nobody has got this down. There's no mathematician that could figure out the math. There's no English major that could write the words to explain this. Only God has known this. Who has been his counselor? Who has God consulted with? No angel in heaven did he turn to and say, well, what do you think would be a good idea? How exactly do you think I should do this? This is strictly out of the heart of God himself that no one in this world has come up with these things. No one in this world has done anything that God owes them. In verse 35, it says, Who has given to him that he might be repaid? None of us have done a single thing in our life or ever will in our life where God says, well, I guess I owe you one. I guess I owe you salvation. I guess now I need to do this. And In fact, it's the opposite. God is causing us to stop in our tracks and to say, God, you are everything. My salvation, my future, this world is you. Look what he says in verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. In other words, from God and through God's working and for the purpose and back to him, is all of our salvation, Is all of this world exists, that it comes from God, that God brought it into being and for this salvation, that He came and produced this and He made it possible. It's through Him. And ultimately, our salvation and the, the fruit of that and the purpose of yours and my walk that we have with Him is back to God. It's all about Him and only to Him belongs the glory. Regardless as, as, a, as a pastor, I sat down and thought about it. I don't know that I've ever led a church with so many different church backgrounds as where River is. I think I counted a dozen different groups, and I'm probably missing one or two. I mean, Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, Church of Christ, Seventh-day Adventist, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Catholic... Uh, there's others in there, the Presbyterian, Lutheran, just all kinds of different backgrounds and and teachings along that. And there should be no surprise along the way that, that, you know, things that you've been taught and that you've learned, there, there might be a little different nuances about how all of these things are believed and played out. And what we try to do at River is, to be honest with you, is to skip past all church tradition and say, what does the Bible say? We're not trying to adhere to anybody's tradition, anybody else's faith, anybody else's teaching except what's been revealed to us and shown to us in Scripture. We just kind of jump past all of that. And regardless of the, the teachings and the things that, that about salvation that come, it should stop us to say it 100% belongs to God. I mean we are very clear as a church salvation only comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone through his shed blood on the cross and the mechanics of how that plays out Romans talks a whole lot about that and we as a church just say we land there and we you know express those things but regardless you and I before the God of heaven that all of our salvation Belongs entirely to Him. That there's not one wisp of one, there's not one little minute part of a cat's whisker, if you will, that we can claim that belongs to us. And so the first thing that Paul wants us to recognize as we've been walking through Romans 1 through 11 is, is that it causes in our heart a glory and a worship to the God of heaven. That it takes away everything that we would take pride in, takes away everything that we would take confidence of ourselves, and it points it back to God. That's where these hard things ultimately land. Look at chapter 11, and here's where I'll touch base with Romans 11. Why are these things inscrutable? Why are these things so hard to understand? These things are beyond our full comprehension. Folks, if you can get your mind wrapped around every single piece of the Bible, you're probably missing something. I'm just going to be really honest with you. I'm not saying that there's not in here things that we ought to understand and get fully. God has revealed these things to us, and He wants us to understand. But listen, there's no textbook in this world that can explain all the things about God. It's impossible. You and me, you and I and our finite, limited little brains cannot wrap our mind around the infiniteness of God. We can understand some things, but we can't understand everything. And so Paul steps back, and just like Peter said, you know, there's some stuff that Paul says is hard to understand. We have to step back and say, yeah, Peter, we get it. And some of these things are challenging. Look at what these things are in chapter 11, verse 1. He says this, Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? He's talking about, has he rejected the Jews? So he's answering the question, Why are there so many non-Jews? Why are there so many Gentiles? That's most of us in this room. But why are there so many Gentiles who are followers of Jesus, but not Jews? Because the Jews had the Bible. They had all the promises they had there. It's from the Jewish people, the Jewish bloodline that the Messiah came. was kind of like, what gives? Has God turned his back on them? What's going on? And Paul says, by no means, not at all. He says, look at me, I myself... Am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Paul says, no, God foreknew, and He's not rejected those. Jump down for sake of time to verse 5. He says, so too at the present time there is a remnant. There is a group of Jews within the people of Israel, a remnant that have been chosen by grace. But But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel, Israel as a nation as a whole, he's saying, failed to obtain what it was seeking. They didn't find salvation. They did not find God. Even though they were religious and all of that, he said, but the elect... That remnant within them, they obtained it, but the rest were hardened. And as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, like they're drunk, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear. God gave that to them down to this very day. Sean, wow, those are some hard things to read and understand. Absolutely. Congratulations. Welcome to the theological discussion and debate of the centuries. So some in our church will understand this some way and some another way. As I read and understand this and look at that in the words, the simplest, most straightforward path, I'm looking, when I try to understand Scripture, I don't, I don't focus on like, what does it mean to me? What am I trying to do with it? I just want to say, God, what did you say then? And what's the straightest line to that? Whether I like it or not, it's irrelevant. Whether I agree with it or not, it's irrelevant. What did you mean? What did you say and I want the straight line. And as I read that, it, the straightest line to me is that, yes, God chose the nation of Israel to bring the Messiah and to bring salvation in this world, but most of them did not know him. But those that did are a remnant that God chose. And in that, those are the ones that he foreknew. And those are the ones that he gave grace to. And instead, others were hardened. Sean, that is hard to really accept. I know it is. But that, to the best of my ability, is what that scripture is teaching. And we don't have time to unpack all the nuances of where all those things go. And as I shared last week, there's not a person on this planet who does not have opportunity that God is not saying, you know, God is reaching to everyone. like, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. He's reaching out to everyone. And Sean, how do those two things go together? I don't know. I just read a passage where Paul says, these things are beyond understanding. They're beyond our comprehension. They're beyond fathoming. That's what he's talking about. Like This stuff blows our mind. How does the God of heaven do it? So that's where I step back and say, Lord, I humbly, and most people that get into these debates need to take a strong step of humility and a whole lot less of bravado and thinking they got it all figured out because Paul himself says these are difficult things to understand. And what God really wants us to do is say, you know what, regardless of where we land, the God of heaven gets full credit for our salvation. And for you, he gets full credit of everything in your life. So that today, the constant standard, the constant rock-solid stability in your life ought to be what God has done in your life through Jesus Christ. See, too often we kind of go up and down with a stock market and just, you know, up, up, and down, and we chase all of that. But there's a more stable approach to that. Let me give you, I want to show you a quick video of, of a couple of young women who understand this really well. The Oklahoma State University softball team just won their National World Series, okay? So they're the best of the best in the country. And an interviewer asked them a question. We're going to play the interview question in a second. It's it's in the front end of the video. If the video's not playing, don't worry. It's not our technology problem. I've been warned by our sound team that it's okay. It's going to come, Sean. Just be with it. But an interviewer asked the, the young ladies a question. In essence, how are you able to stay encouraged in the highs and the lows of the game? And I want you to hear who they give credit to and how this plays out for them. So go ahead and play that video. I'll start with ESPN. For, for the players, I know you talk about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So, uh, I would, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. One thousand percent agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I've went through that my freshman year. I I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the college world series. But I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world, if we do lose, yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys Mm -hmm. see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and and our love for each other and our love for the game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think... The things that Paul's talking to us about is this. He says, guys, let's put life into perspective. So regardless of what's going on in your world, what worries you have and concerns and what going up and down and the navigating of life, and it's, I think it's a little bit easier when you're thinking about just a game, you know, and it's not just a game, you're going through that. But we all have those choices to make, right? We all, and everything that's going on in life, and, you know, the stakes are higher when you're talking about family and you're talking about other things But at the end of the day, it's still the same. Like Paul wants us to recognize the God of the universe has reached down and made it possible, and he has saved you when you have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And it should stop us all in our tracks and say, you know what, let's keep this life in perspective whatever is going on and spinning around, that it should cause a moment of worship in our heart and a moment of confidence and a moment of hope in the middle of that. And when the deep and difficult questions come in our life, it should say, wait a minute, I don't know the answer to all of this, but I do know the answer to this, that my God in heaven loved me and he died for me. Let me give you the two other things. I spent a lot on that first one, so the next two are going to go a lot quicker. Paul has been talking through Romans 1 through 11 all about our deep salvation the first thing is, as is, is all of this, is to bring glory to Him. But the second thing is it gives us a godly attitude. Paul talks in chapter 11. He's unpacking like this whole Jewish versus Gentile and how salvation came through the Jews early on. But why is it now seem like there's more people who aren't Jews being saved? And he talks about some challenging things about how jealousy, you know, his role is hoping that the Jews become jealous He's, that's what he's moving toward to see that other people are getting it, and he's navigating these things. And to be honest with you, and regardless of what you believe about election and all of that, like God is moving some things on the chess and checkerboard that should make us all probably a bit more uncomfortable than we really are. Like He is really moving stuff around, and however you interpret it, it's just like, wow, God. And that should cause us not only a glorifying and worshiping Him. But it should cause a a godly attitude in our life. So he's talking about how we as as non-Jews have been grafted in. I am not a tree guy. I'm not a plant guy. You know that. But I'm told you can take like fruit trees. I think people have done this a lot. You can like cut off a branch or make an opening into a tree and you can graft another tree off another tree. Kind of like... I guess, Mike, I think like taking an arm off of somebody and like sticking it on somebody else. No, it's not the same. There's not nerve endings in trees. I know there's more going on there. But you just stick this tree branch in there and you do it right, it grows and becomes a part of that tree. And he's saying, We as people who aren't Jews have been grafted in to the nation of Israel. This whole salvation thing is what he's talking about here in 11. And he says this he says, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, he's talking about us as Gentiles, that'd be us in this room. Although you're a wild olive shoot, you're just running wild and free. You're not that natural one. You've been grafted in among the others. And now you share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be. You've got salvation. You've got God in your life. You're learning all this stuff. You're coming from the outside of it and you're now plugged in. He says, do not be arrogant. Toward the branches. Don't be arrogant toward those, the Jewish people. Don't be arrogant, like, look at me. He says, no. He says, if you all remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, the branches were broken off, so I might be grafted in. He'd be like, yeah. Some of those Jews just didn't get it, and they really didn't know God. Even though God brought salvation to the people, they didn't really respond, but I did. Look at me. I'm God's gift to this God's kingdom. He's like, there's none of that. Don't be arrogant and prideful. He says, instead, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. And note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness toward you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. What's Paul saying? He's saying this. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you know that you know you are now an adopted child of God in heaven, that the God of this universe reached down and saved you, you better not walk away prideful or arrogant to anybody around you whatsoever. You better not look around arrogant. Well, I got it figured out. I right, look at me. I've noticed that sometimes in, in churches and sometimes in Christians' hearts, we can look pridefully at other people who are not followers of Jesus. Kind of look down shamefully and haughty and Arrogant toward them. And we just finished 11 chapters in however many months that we've been walking through this. And it's all about what the God in heaven did for you, did in you, that he did, and not about what you did. And there is no room for pride in any of our attitudes, any of our view of life, any of it. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about, talking about the Jews, when God gave the Jewish nation the Ten Commandments. We kind of take that as ho-hum. Oh, yeah, there are ten rules, you know. Honor your father, mother, remember the Lord's day. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. You know, don't steal, don't murder, that kind of stuff. You know, when God gave those to the Jewish people, he led them out of Egypt, led them through miracles, and he was revealing himself to them. It was more than just the rules. He was revealing himself to the people and he was taking them to a mountain to worship God. The funny thing is, is the only one that went on that mountain was Moses. They were to go near the mountain, but they were not allowed to touch the mountain. In fact, if anything touched it, even an animal, it was to die immediately. Now, Moses went up on that mountain, the people could see, and I don't know how tall it is, I've never been to Israel, Middle East or all of that, never been to Israel, but they could see the flashes of lightning of God And they could hear the voice, the manifestation of the voice of God. And you know what? It freaked them out. They were scared to death. In fact, the Bible says Moses was terrified to be in the presence of God. There was an overwhelmingness to be in the presence of God as he is revealing his holiness and who he really is as a person. And then when you get to the end of Hebrews chapter 12, explaining all that, the Bible says that we have come to a holy mountain, and our God is a consuming fire. We forget that sometimes, do we not? Sometimes, do we not, we go to church, and okay, we're going to sing some nice songs, we're going to see some people, and we want things, and it's easy, and I've been there too, like, well, I wish we did it this way, and in my last church we did it this way, and we just somehow miss that it's the holy God of heaven that we are gathering for this morning. And that our God is a consuming fire in our life. And there should be a humility. There should be not necessarily a terror of us toward God, but a fear and awe in our heart to God and a motivation in our soul to honor Him and obey Him in every area. That we serve that kind of God. So, folks, we should be a people that worship Him. We should be a people of humility coming to Him. And the last thing, and I'm done. And we should be a, a people that along the way are warned to not give up and to continue in our faith. Because what Paul just said, he said, look, recognize the kindness of God on one hand and the severity of God on the other. That God toward those who know Him and are saved. God is a gracious and kind God, but He is a severe and stern and, and a judging, judgmental, punishing God to those who do not know Him and do not follow Him. And so we are challenged, He says, make sure, note that, that we continue, that you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off, just like the Jews, that while they were religious and Jewish and body and in soul, that they really did not put their faith and trust in the Messiah. You know what that means for you and me today? In, in the Old Testament, there were thousands, millions of people that God had revealed truth to them. But many, if not most, most did not respond and did not become true children of God. That's why in 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 Romans nine the Bible says, But Israel, the real Israel, all of Israel is not the real Israel. It's why in in Romans chapter three or four it talks about that the Jews are not the ones who are there and in physically, but the ones that in their heart that God has made them Jews. It means today for you and me that there are people sitting in churches all over this country, all over the state of New York, all over the capital region. And many, many, many of them are worshiping God, singing the songs, reading the Bible, know the stories from Sunday school, know the stories from their past classes at their church. And yet, they've really not put their faith, repented, turned of their sins, and put their faith in Jesus. And many of those have started out, but have drifted and even gone away and don't even go to church. And Paul is saying, salvation comes not to when you start the race. It comes to when you complete the race. And so it's a warning to us. It doesn't matter what you thought about when you were 5 years old, 6 year old, 10 years old. What matters is what you're believing today and following today and it's a warning to not give up and not give in. We churches have people that bounce in, people that bounce out. Sometimes people are, you know, different sometimes people are coming in situations that need to heal, need to work on things and we want to be a blessing to them knowing that they'll maybe some will stay, maybe some will be kind of kind of rest, if you will, and God has something else for them. That's okay. But sometimes people are trying to check things out with God and they kind of jump in and it looks good for a while, but then they're like, eh, yeah, I really am not, I'm not into that anymore. Paul's warning us to not let that be you and not let that be me, that this is a lifetime of pursuing Jesus. Sean, are you saying that we can lose your salvation? No, I'm not saying that at all. You see, the the Jews in the Old Testament that didn't know J- Jesus, didn't know the Messiah, they never really had faith in Him. And what it's just saying is that your real faith over time does get revealed. And it gets revealed over that lifetime. And we're talking about a lifetime of commitment to following Jesus. Folks, we live in a day where commitments are very thin, right? Very thin. Relationships, I've not looked at the data, but... Husbands and wives, the the times now get almost measured in months where so many people are just not together. And as I talk with other young adults, it's just commonly assumed that, yeah, I'm going to get married, but I'm probably going to be divorced in the next five years. They kind of go into it expecting. That's just norm because that's what they've seen. That's what they've experienced. That's what their friends are doing. It's norm. It's difficult to think about long-term relationship. But our relationship with Christ, God saves us. We get put in his hand, and we are secure in his hand. But there's a challenge for you and me to not just sit back, but to pursue Jesus and to pursue the Lord our God all the days of our life for him to be the priority of our heart and of our soul. And to be careful that we do not become like others and be shown to be a sham, if you will, in our salvation. So Romans chapter 11 is a challenging chapter. So what did you need to hear? Did you need to be reminded this morning of the glory of our God in heaven? Do you need to be challenged to continue on in your walk with God? Are you toying about that? Maybe you needed to be challenged that you've gone to church all your life and just thought you were good to go. No, there needs to be in your heart and soul a response to the God of heaven committing your life to surrendering to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life to really have that relationship, to experience that salvation. And so maybe there's something in those areas that God spoke to you, I don't know. But whatever God has kind of pricked at your heart, respond to Him today. And if God hasn't done that today, so be it. Pray for the others in the room that God is working with. But I'm going to pray for us, and our team's going to come, and we're going to sing our last song. So pray with me. Would you, Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus who loved us and died for us. And Lord, these Romans has been a wonderful book. We are not finished for sure, but Lord, some of these teachings are hard to combine and make sense in our brain. Lord, I confess that I struggle at times to put all those things together. You are an awesome, consuming fire. And Lord, help us to not ever take you for granted. Forgive us as we do. Forgive us when we reduce our Christian walk to just our preferences of what we want in life and Forgive us when we sometimes sound like whiny school children. Lord, help us to realize that you have revealed yourself to us as the God of the universe, an unfathomable grace that we could swim and drown in, in your wonderful grace and salvation. And we ought to be in awe in that all the time. Help us to return to that, Father. Help us to have confidence and a hope and a security in your salvation. Help us to glory in that and to move beyond pride and self. And help us, Father, to be motivated to pursue you. We are kept by your grace. We are saved by your grace. But, Father, we are challenged to continue on and to pursue you in our hearts. So help us to do that as a people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.